0: Welcome back to the Returning to Oneself podcast. I am Mish. I am Emma. And every two weeks... Us and special guest will help you to understand how and why you are abandoning yourself.
1: So if you are someone that lacks self-confidence, feels stuck hating their body and is constantly striving to change yourself into a smaller version, whether that be physically and or emotionally, this podcast is for you. With our and our guests' experience and expertise, not only will you be reminded that you are not alone in this struggle, but there is hope that you can go from disconnected from yourself and your body to being reconnected.
0: Stick with us as we teach you how you can return to yourself and finally reach a place where you are at peace with yourself, your life and your body.
1: Welcome to another episode of our podcast. And I think we can speak for both me and Emma today that we are so honored by our guest joining us today, Rebecca Kimberly, who is an award winning psychological life coach, psychotherapist, and trainee clinical psychologist. And most importantly, a huge inspiration to me. So thank you so much for coming, Rebecca. Thank you so much
2: for having me.
0: It's so good to meet you, Rebecca. I've seen, Obviously, a lot of your stuff on Instagram, but just feel so honored that you're here and really excited to dive into today. Hey, yeah, yeah, I'm really excited for this one. Fabulous. So we asked this of all of our guests. This is my favorite part, I feel. And this is just to let our listeners get to know you a little bit. We would like to know, Rebecca, two interesting facts about you. you. Second, if you were a cartoon character, who would you be and why?
2: Okay, two interesting facts, I guess. Well, to get to name. I grew up in London, and I recently moved to the Southwest. I live in Exeter and Devon now, and it's lovely. Been here for about a year, and I guess another somewhat interesting fact is I've been studying for the last nine years. I'm currently on my fifth university degree in psychology.
1: I feel like you are superhuman. I genuinely feel like you are superhuman.
2: I get told this so often. I th- I feel like this is well, this is part of the difficulties, isn't it? When you kind of show a certain aspect of your life at social media as well, where you feel like other people get this sense of you and inside and like oh my gosh what am I doing I ask myself that every day (laughs) coming from the world of science as well there's
0: a point where you realize okay yes I I know a lot more than I used to know but then as you kind of look outside of you like fuck (laughs) I'm a tiny little fish <laughs> at this point, you know, in this sea. If one thing that again being in science taught me is that even like researching the most tiniest little things, if it's just like a little protein or a little enzyme in a cell, it still has a purpose, it still has uh, a function. Yeah, that's so true. It's a really good way to put it. And then cartoon character. Mecca.
2: <laughs> mm. Oh my god, that's a really good question. If I were a cartoon character, I think I would be Sure. The first thing that came to mind is Squidward from <laughs> Spongebob. Um, I feel like maybe to, definitely to my family. I'm the eldest. I come across as a very kind of leave me alone. I want to be on my own. But I feel like deep inside, they kind of love Spongebob's company. they a bit of the, you know, high energy, but generally I'm quite an introverted person. So I tend to come off as not enjoying social contact and people around, but Squidward always sticks around for it, doesn't he? So I feel like I'm a bit of that.
1: I love this question. I think it's sometimes Sometimes it's very difficult for our guests but it always brings up very authentic responses and there's always something that people can relate to so i can see that and you also have a very very cute cat right i do yes yes
2: i have locked her out of the room uh, today because she is currently having zoomies and you'll hear that
1: what's yeah. her name very important question Elani. <laughs> Elani. lovely amazing that's a beautiful name so rebecca our podcast is about helping people and helping women especially to learn how to through self-abandonment so let's start with you and we want to know what is your experience like with self-abandonment you can mm. think of any time of your life whether it's childhood or recent that really comes up to your mind and that was quite significant for you yeah
2: of course so I think for me self-abandonment comes from many different things I think it was quite like a slow burning long journey of getting to that point so I as I mentioned I'm the eldest of five and being the eldest girl especially in a black Caribbean household is you're kind of like a maternal figure already whether explicitly or you know less less explicit been told to kind of their needs in front of mine be there for them etc etc and over time I just kind of developed that with friends and then partners and everything else and I had been, I think it was about seven or eight years that I was of most of my adult life, still quite young, but most of it. I was in relationships that were not healthy at all. And I kind of looked back on it. There was a lot of sexually abuse, emotionally abusive relationships. I was taught to put them before me, but also I learned that I just wasn't worthy as a person. And I saw my worth through, you know, quite few individuals compared to how big the world is. But because I didn't have a chance to like define it for myself, I allowed them to define that for me. So I just learned to put myself second or third or last pretty much with everything and yeah i think it was through a long journey of kind of therapy and doing what i do and working with people that i realized actually this is like putting people first is is not cute it's not great
1: Mm. Of course, you said that it was a long journey for you. If you look back, is there a maybe moment you can recall that made you realize these relationships are not healthy? This is not how I should be treated, nor how I deserve to be treated. Was there anything that happened for you specifically that made it a little bit more clear?
2: I think it was kind of loads of small moments. And I think when things kind of went wrong in my life and I was looking at who to turn to, you know, if I've had a bad day or I just thought actually I can't even turn to those people that I put first so why do I keep on doing this you know when you keep on coming over something over and over and little moments where I'd be asked questions about myself or you know what do you like what do you what do you want to do and I'm like I don't know and I thought this is not this is not normal like this is not helpful and healthy that actually I am going to be with myself and I've been the common denominator in every single relationship I've had and I'm the one leaving feeling awful all the time like I need to do something about this and that was the thing for me that was like I cannot and will not do this again.
0: I do think it's amazing how a lot of those behaviors that we translate into our relationships do come from what becomes so normalized yeah. in your family relationship. I really resonate. Yeah. In terms of being like the parental figure, being the caretaker, and also then just accepting and being normalized to a lot of other behaviors that I received. And then I so saw that in in the next couple of relationships that I had of it just being so normalized. I was like, oh, this sort of terrible, toxic behavior again. Oh, that's normal. <laughs> and then there reaches a point where you're
1: like, maybe this isn't normal. <laughs> what you just said emma because it's so it can be so normalized it's so hard to recognize that that specific situation you're in is so damaging ultimately to who you are as a person and to your own relationship with yourself so it's very hard to remove yourself from the crowd or it's very hard to remove yourself from the collective because you're thinking but nobody else is talking about this nobody else is saying something's off something doesn't feel right right yeah it just becomes like well your nervous system almost doesn't Well, it does
0: react, but you're able to like suppress your outward, you know, experience of it just to to cope and to still be that people pleaser, still be that fixer, even though inside, you know, you're suffering greatly. But you know, Rebecca, you obviously work with clients and we've heard a little bit about the ways that you abandon yourself, but we're really curious about the people that you work with as well and and what behavioral habits do you see or hear with your clients that are also
2: other signs of self-rejection. So many. (laughs) So many so like not trusting their own instincts Um, so you mentioned where we kind of really suppress ourselves and that's definitely something that happens often when you keep on suppressing yourself so much that actually you don't even know what your gut instinct is you don't know what you really want or what really is right for you so then that comes to like doubting yourself not being able to trust yourself and making decisions feeling the need to have other people make decisions for you people pleasing is a huge like seeking external validation from others whatever it is even if you know that you're unhappy with something and don't like something other people their feelings and thoughts and needs go before your own as well also I guess like hiding parts of yourself so that kind of fear of what other people might think if you don't know wear a particular color or eat a particular kind of food that actually you're not doing something that you want to do based on how you fear other people might respond or perceive it those are kind of really common things that actually happen multiple times a day and in so many different kind of situations it doesn't always have to be these really big noticeable things they tend to be these really small cumulative things that when you just ask somebody well what do you want or how do you feel about that and they struggle to respond to that that's that's a big sign
0: i think actually it's a really good point that you made Rebecca is that often even on social media we see people's like huge transformations of how they've overcome this and and overcome that and one thing that I've noticed in my own experience with therapy is that it's the little things that you might have not even realized that it was a thing and then when it changes you're like oh my god I did this thing today where I said no to this person or mm-hmm. I actually spoke up for what was true for me or it's just those small things and it is if you have that also the ability to knowledge that for yourself it is for my own personal experience it is just it's so powerful and it really does give you that energy and that hope to just continue going that those little things really can add up because yeah as you said th- yeah there's not the massive thing but it's like little pebbles that eventually build up to a huge big mound mm-hmm. and they do count
1: I have a question you mentioned as one of the signs an ability to trust our own gut to trust our intuition and what I find often with my clients is that when they start maybe learning about how they can trust themselves better and more they struggle with recognizing when it's about trusting their own gut and trusting their own intuition and when it they're coming from a place of fear that can then lead them to self-sabotage what is your experience like with this and is there
2: a way of how this can be recognized or, or uh, identified yeah that's so true and and for a lot of people that kind of come through to me there is this element of they've acknowledged that there's anxiety or that there's something behind there. And I guess for a lot of people, they probably won't be as aware that there is something. So usually the kind of presence of anxiety is a really helpful sign as to, you know, is this a fear thing or is this a, I just don't know and I'm not sure thing. And usually when we start setting tasks to do that thing, whatever that thing is, if a fear tends to come up, it kind of becomes a bit clearer. What I try to get people to do is start to learn to like regulate yourself a little bit, get to know yourself and get to know your body. So actually, when you are noticing that you're feeling fearful, what is your body trying to tell you? When you're noticing that, you know, it's little things like walking down the street at night and do I turn left or right? What, Where am I pulled towards to go? You know, if I'm going to walk through the woods, obviously I'm going to get fear of like, oh gosh, I probably shouldn't do that. Starting to pick up on those bodily signs that your body is trying to tell you because it is trying to communicate with you in some sort of way. But sometimes what we do when we get so either caught up in other people and other people's needs, we're not really in and with ourselves so it's really starting to get to know ourselves and how our body responds and reacts to things in order to then be able to move on with that
1: and I find personally and and from the stories that I hear that especially when it's connected to people pleasing it almost feels impossible to get some sort of clarity because there is that void that's trying to be filled externally whilst trying to find some sort of connection internally And so it's almost impossible to prioritize that internal regulation or that internal validation when you are trying to survive by people pleasing by being there for somebody else and I
0: feel this really fits in with how we were talking about how when people pleasing and the experience of it and there the reaction of it the coping aspect of it when that has become so normalized in our own body we aren't able to recognize all oh, this actually feels very different in my body versus when I'm choosing to do something nice for somebody and one thing that comes up is that like well how do I not people please but still remain a good person a kind person and I think that's what people often if, if I'm not a people pleaser then who am I you know how do I know I'm still a good person and I think it really is that being able to connect with that feeling how does it feel when you are people pleasing versus when you genuinely did something out of kindness and it does feel different being able to connect to those different things
2: what you identify there is like a difference between like an I want to do this thing and and I need to do this thing and often a lot of people are coming from a place of I need to yes. I need to do this thing for somebody I need to you know be there for them even though I don't want to so I- Actually, it's kind of, well, I want to, but also I don't want to as well. And you can still be a good person. In fact, the best people can do for themselves is to just come from a place of what you want and go with that. Because ultimately, if you're making yourself happy and you're making, you're putting your needs first, it's not that other people's needs and things come second. But you're able to give from a place of, well, this is what I have left to give, not just I'm giving you everything and then I've got nothing left for myself. And then I'm starting to feel resentful and upset and guilty about it. That's just a perpetuating cycle isn't it mm, absolutely I
0: think what you said there about that even if I don't do this thing I'm still a good person I think in that moment where you are people pleasing it's like there is no other option I, I have to do this otherwise that makes me a bad person and that in itself the thought that, that I'm going to be a bad person is a stress in itself and therefore you try and avoid that again and again and again <laughs> I remember having this this revelation if I don't do this for somebody I'm still a good person it's almost knowing that you're like oh
1: Okay, that's great. Cr- I I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> I sometimes feel like there is this sense of fake self-abandonment. And I'll explain what I mean by that. For example, people that do have a history with toxic, unhealthy relationships on their journey towards connecting with more secure partners or more or with partners that aren't toxic or, or relationships that, you know, are healthy, they may find that in the process of doing that, they find themselves saying no to opportunities for connections and they find themselves in place of saying no to quote-unquote love and what they actually want which is relationship or partnership or family and that may feel like self-abandonment like I'm saying no to
2: something that I want why does it feel like that? That's so true I guess I guess it can be like different things for different people but ultimately the first thing that came to mind was fear that sometimes we still fear the things that we actually want and if you're coming from a place of like familiarity with people leaving or things being toxic or all of those things as much as we may want to feel a secure and loving connection but many people don't actually know what that feels like so it's like fearing that thing that you never had or that you feel as though is difficult to get or something that can also be difficult to, to kind of work towards when mm. You know that you don't want that and what you've come from but also it's scary to think about what else is out there as well
1: yeah and it's actually funny that you said that because my my therapist said to me last week what you want mish is actually not what you may need and and what i want doesn't feel as good as what i need and that's such a mind fact when you're in that place because <laughs> <laughs> it's like you are having this internal fight between between like trying to convince yourself that what you want may not be the right thing for you but still being pulled to that place because of how it feels like you said the familiarity the home place like the safety because that's what we know and it that's just what we want as a security and certainty and between the place of this just doesn't feel attractive to me or this doesn't feel good to me but it may be more of what you need and your system needs to that is right for you and and that is healthy for you and that's not only that's you know unfamiliar but it's also boring and it feels boring and it may feel like almost like resistance towards it and it's it's so difficult I find personally I'm speaking from personal experience now (laughs) (laughs) it's so difficult to sit in that battle in that internal fight and just kind of observe what's going on
0: the only thing I was going to add is that I feel that you know, sometimes I I see a lot of resistance to connection does come, as you said, from that place of fear because you know you've had an experience of what connection feels like and it's being ruptured and that is incredibly painful. So what if the connection becomes even better, even greater? It's even more painful to rupture, and I think that in itself is it's it's one of those irrational but also very logical fears. Um, and it's it's then knowing you know how to support yourself with that, which is. It's not always easy. That's the only thing I kind of wanted to add.
1: So Rebecca, how can women start breaking the self-abandonment cycle?
2: I think first of all, it's about like recognizing that you're in it. That was definitely true for me. I guess once I switch from this is so hard to kind of admit and, and acknowledge, but Once I switch from kind of being the victim in all of these situations and other people are doing to me and this is awful and why are they doing this, etc. To actually, I'm abandoning myself and I'm not like, I'm not choosing. So I didn't choose what happened to me, but I did allow what happened after it happened the first time and kind of kept on going and just simply by not putting myself first, not putting my needs first. So it's acknowledging that actually sometimes we are in a cycle of this and that there are things that we can do to break that cycle. For me, that was a huge part, just the acknowledgement side of things. And then it was, I guess, about like getting to know yourself. What do you want? Like, what do you want? What do you need? A lot of the time when people are stuck in this cycle, they actually don't know who they are. They don't know what they like. They don't know what they don't like. We spend so much time kind of getting to know other people and what they want and what their needs are, but not really for ourselves. So get out there, date yourself, get to know yourself, take yourself out on kind of solo trips, get to really understand what you enjoy Uh, What makes you happy, what you don't, uh, what doesn't make you happy, all of those kind of things. Even if you have to sit down and write it out to do it, get an idea of that. And then it's about like setting boundaries and not just setting them, but actually sticking to them. So when we're thinking about boundaries, they're kind of ways that we teach other people how to treat us. And also teaching ourselves how to treat ourselves as well that actually i am worthy of doing this thing and i'm worthy of going to the gym and sticking to this goal that i set for myself because it's coming from a loving place all of those kind of things making that boundary and sticking to it and some people have difficulties like making it in the first place but then others kind of kind of make the boundaries but then allow people to keep disrespecting them so it's like well i set a boundary and they're not they're not respecting it but it's like actually we're not really sticking to it so that's really important
0: i love that thing that you said about owning your role in that cycle as well as also acknowledging that you're not completely responsible for it. You know, a lot of our self-abandoning ways came from just trying to survive, right? And in that it's accepting, okay, that was what was necessary at that point when I wasn't able to fully be responsible for myself. But as an adult, I think there is a lot of power that comes in from being able to kind of fully acknowledge that, okay, I can start to take responsibility here.
2: I think that that is just so empowering to be able to get to that point That this is what I can do. This is what I can do to move forward. Because actually, if we place that responsibility in others for our own healing, it's not going to work. It's not going to happen. If you go back to the place that has hurt you it's like you know if I were to go back to my exes and be like this is what you've done and I need you to do these things they're not going to get on board with that so actually I'm putting my happiness and my healing and my like ability to move forward in that person again I'm taking away my power so it's about kind of how do I get my power back and start my own healing journey and sometimes that may involve other people it needs to but just not the same people that have put you in that place
1: so you you mentioned coming from a loving place and you mentioned the disconnection from the victim label would you say there's time in place when disconnecting from the victim label can be helpful and when can be unhelpful because often people almost switch to the other end and go from okay i i realize i'm not the victim but now Everything is my fault, and now I I'm gonna blame myself for everything that happened.
2: Thousand million percent, yes, yeah. It really varies. I think in my personal experience, I had to let go of that that label for myself because it was preventing me from moving forward, and I had to do it in a safe way that prevented me from then going completely the other way as well. Mm. Um, and so yeah, for a lot of people, by taking away, it's like some people don't acknowledge that they have been a victim in certain situations, and so then that can become really difficult for them to actually see. I was heard like I was in this position and actually it wasn't my fault. So it's a really kind of individual experience based on what you're going through, based on kind of where people are at. And that's why I think therapy is great to be able to help identify where you are at that point and what things are helpful and what things aren't. Because yeah, for me, when I kind of acknowledged I was the victim over and over, but I wasn't changing anything in those moments, that wasn't helpful for me. It just kind of became this thing that I just use. It became my narrative, whereas for some people, they need to acknowledge that they've been a victim But ultimately, for everybody, we shouldn't say that. Once we've acknowledged something, it's about kind of not staying in that position. But the acknowledgement is what's necessary.
1: And what if it connects to being a survivor, a survivor of sexual abuse, a survivor of domestic abuse? Would you still say that removing that label is is the thing to do
2: again different for different people but Mm -hmm. for me as a survivor it was important i guess because when i say i am a victim in this kind of current present day tense i'm still taking for me i'm still in that place back where i was Mm -hmm. then for me what was important to recognize is i am no longer a victim now I was and just that simple kind of switch for me for me is very important whereas for a lot of people that kind of language may not necessarily resonate and stick but for me it's the kind of difference between that was then and this is now but that is still my experience that still happened to me in my past but for me it's not kind of taking up my day-to-day life the choices I'm making now are based on me it doesn't define you what
0: I really see is okay what can I do now what can I do for myself now and it doesn't take away from the fact that it happened but it's also yeah it's not letting it define you exactly
1: and what i'm hearing from you is that mental health and our trauma experience are so complex unlike what we may see in media especially social media i feel like a lot of things in social on social media are so black and white which is why it can be so confusing for people to decide what they need and why and
2: what's the right thing for them right yeah because there's so many messages out there and it takes away the kind of nuance of life right so you see something, you see a post that says you are not a victim. You see a post saying you are a victim. You're like, oh my gosh, what should I do? You see this about, you know, this thing is healthy. The same thing is not healthy. The information is out there, but it's hard to know kind of what resonates, what actually, you know, works for me, and what doesn't. And one of the biggest kind of things is actually being able to know that there are all these information and advice and things out there, but knowing what applies and what doesn't, which can be really difficult when you, you know, don't have the, the awareness to, to do so, or, you know, the space to really sit and reflect on that.
0: Yeah. you said you know some people it's important for them to stick with that like a particular label and for others it's not but if you don't know how each of those labels feel as you say them out loud internally, how you know how do you know if it's empowering you or not or allowing you to kind of move past or move forward?
1: You are in the mental health field and you are on social media and my question to you is what would you say is the one thing, one information that's really missing out Mm -hmm. there for people to feel a little bit more inclined to seek help, speak to somebody, work with a professional, even when they think they don't need anybody to work with or they don't need a therapist or they don't have a problem?
0: Oh, that's such a good question. Powerful question, Mish. Mm -hmm. Really powerful. It's
2: not even on our list. (laughs) No, sorry, Rebecca. (laughs) Throw me in
0: there. It's a million dollar question, really, isn't it? It really is.
2: I feel like um, there is this, narrative in society about kind of doing things alone figuring it out for yourself which you know it's just not possible but like figuring things out for yourself this kind of toxic positivity thing of everything will be fine good vibes only um you know this is how i did it so this is how it's going to work all of that kind of things follow my advice etc etc which isn't helpful even as a therapist the way that I will work with one person will be completely different to the way that I work with somebody else who's coming to me with the same thing and by that I'm saying that with quotes because obviously everybody is completely different but when we're kind of looking at okay we're working with PTSD how we're going to do that is going to be so different when you are online and looking at certain things that person is coming from their own perspective their own kind of thoughts and feelings on something their own learning their own education and giving this kind of blank. Rule advice for all, and it's it's just not helpful. And especially when it comes to kind of things like when we're dealing with trauma and dealing with kind of mental health difficulties, it's so difficult to be able to just pick up on small pieces of information online and think that that's what therapy is. Therapy is so much more than that. It's more than a conversation. It's more than you know questions and answers. It's a whole experience that's going to be very different for different people. And so it's really hard to kind of deduce a single post about what to do to a whole experience of therapy.
1: I'm really diverting here sorry Emma I'm really diverting but you are here so I want to know all the answers Mm -hmm. and I think it's questions like this are so helpful to people because that is exactly where they feel lost Mm -hmm. and so when if somebody becomes open to work with a therapist or a mental health professional I often hear from people's experiences that they don't even know where to start and they feel like they are not being heard and they are not being offered the right support what would you say to them as an advice of where to go or, or what is the best thing to do in that situation
2: yeah I think it's something I hear quite often and unfortunately I tend to hear it a lot when people understandably go to their GPs they've got a health concern and then it well definitely was the case for me either take medication you're fine or CBT help yeah and as a CBT therapist CBT is not for everybody it's not but also we're not really kind of equipping people with how best to learn how to seek help the GP is is one way and if you've got a good one that's absolutely great but it's not about whether they're great or not it's actually many people can't access them or it's very difficult to in the UK there's this kind of program called improving access to psychological therapies which is somewhere that I worked for quite a while and you can access counselling with CBT or depending on what type of therapy is available in you know where you're living so that's always something to kind of think about the local charities Mind is a great great resource Um, I really love Mind I think it's amazing so looking online for there and people to work with but ultimately i think looking out for different types of therapies as well doing your own bit of research because you don't something that can be quite difficult is just going somewhere and be told what to have which you don't know is going to work so sometimes just having a look around like what kind of things do i think would be helpful being a part of that journey is really important as well rather than just being a recipient and having someone tell you What's going to be helpful? Of course, if you don't know, try it out. There is nothing wrong with kind of attending therapy for a few sessions and being like, this isn't for me for whatever reason. It, that's normal. It's sometimes not just the type of therapy, it's also the therapist. There's so many different things. There's like testing it out.
1: Oh my God, I'm so glad you said that because I was going to add the point about, no, and that can be quite discouraging, I find, when people finally get to speak to somebody and they're just mm-hmm. not connecting with that person and it's it almost shuts them down more than allows them to open up about what's going on for them Mm. but I feel like it's like with finding a PT or finding your favorite hairstylist like you have to find somebody who you can trust and sometimes it takes time and I think I do think that that's one of the hardest things for people when they're trying to seek help to not get discouraged by the fact that they are not connecting with somebody who they were assigned to or maybe contacted themselves right for me personally I actually went through I think four, four therapists before. I found this one and I'm like this is the person this is the therapist for me personally but if you ask me what was I looking for I would never be able to tell you that I just had to experience different
2: people and just to kind of add to that as well sorry with the with therapy as well a good therapist will try to well should try to have these discussions you know what can I do what can be helpful and what isn't helpful and it's something I always ask at the start of like you know what was your experience of therapy before what are you hoping for in a therapist what aren't you hoping for because ultimately we should be flexible we're trained in kind of how to work with people and and ultimately there will just be some things that just won't click for example if somebody doesn't want to work with a black person or a young person I cannot do anything to change that you know find what you are looking for if somebody Mm -hmm. wants to work with a male obviously I'm not a male so therefore find what you're looking for but if it's these things that you know you're starting to notice and pick up on or you feel as though you can't be as open a good therapist will have that space to have that conversation because ultimately this is also a relationship and we're trying to work through that relationship with a stranger as well and so sometimes that can be a really helpful part of therapy to be able to model that that sometimes we don't always click with people first time But we can have conversations where we start to get an idea of what each other's needs are and how we can meet them or how we don't. Because also a good therapist should be like, I'm not the person for you. And this is why.
0: I was going to say that I I meant to say ages ago. But one thing that I was wanting to say is that anyone that tries out with a therapist and it doesn't work or doesn't click. You know, I had one in person that during our sessions she fell asleep I mean what am oh. I supposed to do with that right what do
1: you mean wait 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 <laughs> she,
0: Wait. she fell asleep it was an older lady and I, you know I think the room was very warm <laughs> and you know but you can imagine if I look at a lot of my issues is not being seen or heard like that was very difficult for me oh my god very difficult however you know I pursued and I think this this time it was you know I, I very much made sure that I spoke to maybe five or six different people and this is where I think being able to be in touch with your gut and your instinct a little bit really is really important to kind of know what feels right and I knew that I also wanted a little bit of someone who was gonna have an uh, you know respect that i'm a little bit spiritual that I'm not religious you know I think this is important in life and etc cetera, etc cetera, and, and knowing what my likes and dislikes were um and what's important to me but it was interesting when I had my first meeting with the therapist that I have now she triggered the fuck out oh. of me in, in what sense she basically okay I had been I was going through a very difficult time with my my sister who is, is adopted and I was really struggling my parents are struggling everything was very difficult and what I really wanted was to be just heard because as someone who is like a biological sibling and I have an adopted sister, often all the attention is on the uh, the adopted person and we are as siblings completely ignored. And there's no, I think there's only one or two people I've found who've ever done kind of research on the effect of adoption on siblings. So I really, really wanted to be heard. And so I felt like I needed to tell the whole story, you know, and she just kind of said to me, you know, Emma, just be careful as you are, you know, sharing these things and, you know, opening up that wound and it can be very difficult and and very hard and I felt like I was being told off I felt almost like you know six seven years old again being told off by a teacher right for not doing the right thing and I really toyed with it and I was really like my instinct or like my reaction my body is saying no don't go with this person but there was something that she called me out with no one ever had no one else had done that no one else had tried to take care of me in that way and so in our first session I chose her I said okay I want to have another session with you and I said to her you know you triggered the fuck out of me. That's cool and the way that she opened up to just exploring that and and you know i i, I think she's amazing and I, i'm so pleased that i almost got over my ego and and went with that and pushed past that but that's my main part is sometimes you've got to do a little bit of exploration you know to, to see who it is that's going to fit for you the most and sometimes it's not it's not always the one that makes you feel really really safe i think there is that aspect and i think that might in my instance it came secondary to my own, our first session but the first part was that you know she was able to be like okay this is this is something we need to look at already so yeah that's my story about finding my therapist <laughs> i can't remember what we
2: were talking about before but...
1: <laughs> that's so interesting that that made you choose her but i almost feel like maybe i'm completely wrong here but to me what you're saying and again that's from your perspective, right? But to me what you're saying is like you maybe didn't feel hurt, but there was something within you that felt seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And
1: yeah, it was it was kind of like I already I already knew that
0: I had this thing of of oversharing, right? It's it's something that I've always done to try and connect and try and and you know, she just challenged me on that in a way that I hadn't been challenged before. And so, yeah, I was hurt. <laughs> but you know I wanted to be challenged in these sessions I wanted to make sure that it's not just someone going oh poor you Emma poor you, you know I I didn't want that part of me did maybe but not all of it right <laughs> so yeah don't don't put up with people who fall asleep in your sessions but also don't always go with someone who is just this pure safety and ego rubbing stuff yeah mish asked some amazing questions as, as to why it's hard for some people to reach out or feel okay to reach out and where do they reach out to but we also want to know why according to you stuff of acceptance
2: is so hard for women to reach society makes it very hard for women to get there and i guess when i was in an awful place and i saw other women kind of owning themselves and being Outspoken and doing what they love for themselves, I thought, oh my goodness, like you're so full of yourself. You're so vain. You're like, how could you? You love yourself too much. And I had to check myself of actually, what is wrong with that? Like, why does that trigger something in me? And it's just because I couldn't do that. And I think a lot of people can resonate with that if they're not in that space and you see other people in that space, it can be very difficult. But ultimately, I think society puts us into these boxes of you know not being too loud and we have to look like this and we have to talk like this and we have to do this otherwise you're not a good woman and this and that you just get pushed into box so it can be really difficult to start to accept yourself and then when I think about all my clients and all the things that they don't do anymore as adults for all the things that they were told were not good enough as children you know I wasn't good at writing I was told that it's not a good job or whatever so I didn't do it anymore or I used to really love football but it wasn't girly enough so I was forced to do this other thing like whatever it is it's so hard to just kind of accept those parts of you when you have been told or when society is kind of indirectly or directly telling you it's just not good enough for whatever reason
1: it's it's just like a social conditioning almost from the day you're born yeah it actually really hit me hard what you just said Rebecca mm-hmm. of like all the things that we were told not
0: to do as a child we don't do as an adult and I just like had different like flashes of things that I've kind of stopped doing as an adult and it feels sad a little bit Fish and I we do try and do things like to bring out the you know inner child and, and do things like that but uh when this is always brought up I think there is a, a little bit of me that wants to try even harder to do those things
1: yeah, yeah I agree and we don't usually talk about this but you you said that it's the society that puts us into these boxes as women that we then try to fit into
2: do you feel like men experience the same thing not in the same way and I guess just from witnessing just experiencing these conversations with clients and different things they they absolutely do have a lot of kind of pressure to to be or kind of do certain things but I think what I've kind of noticed is it's just in a very different way so ultimately as people we are kind of pushed into different boxes but with women we just experience it so much more and from so much different angles and it's it's really hard to kind of compare the two They are very different
0: I think the attributes that allow us to thrive Let's say even take those attributes that you saw in these women who were really owning themselves, they were standing in their power, they were confident. As a woman, we are not encouraged to pursue those attributes until those attributes that also allow men to thrive mm. are acceptable in allowing women to thrive as well. I think it's it's always going to be an uneven playing field. Even if there are boxes that men also have to fit into, I think the boxes are in, in, in themselves uneven.
1: What it comes down to at the end of the day is what is holding us, what is keeping us in in the box, inside of the box and wanting to stay in the box. First of all, we don't even feel like we have an option whilst we're there because we can't see that because we're so constricted and it's so conditional that any, any sort of an idea of coming out of the box is threatening to our value and to the validation that we either receive or don't receive from the outside based on whether we stay in that box or not, right? So the narrative around that is the factor that then determines whether we feel maybe empowered of wanting to explore the outside of the box or whether we are stuck in that place of fear just with the idea of what may happen if i if come out of
2: the line yeah absolutely and ultimately i think particularly with women it's it's sometimes a, a matter of life and death staying in that box and you know down to what we wear when we go out and how we conduct ourselves and doing certain things that ultimately that fear that we could be killed for this and people have been before so it's not just down to the kind of things that we choose to do day to day in our careers but ultimately our lives are at risk from it sometimes and that is scary it's a scary thought i just thought of of this whole conversation
0: is bringing me back to something that i read in kristen neff's book fierce compassion about women basically taught to prioritize other needs over their own which is kind of what we're all talking about suppressing ourselves so I'm just going to read this if that is okay, but power determines who gets their needs met. And historically, women have been required to subordinate their needs to those of men in order to keep their peace in relationships. So it's, it's very much that, that there really is like this gender role in terms of meeting our own needs being able to meet other people's needs and just men and women in general it's it's really aggressive
1: i mean that's that's really powerful and it really resonates with me what you just read i, I mean she's amazing but so i'm not surprised <laughs> I'm so glad you've brought this up the the question of life and death because it really brings me to my next question for you and that is what are the ways that women are encouraged to live by that are actually
2: really harmful for their ability to thrive yeah and I think it is literally what Kristen Neff just said about putting other people before ourselves it's like we're kind of taught in very different ways and what I said right about from the beginning about being the eldest and putting a, like my siblings' needs before my own that kind of thing it's this idea of being self-sacrificing and what it means. Means to be a woman and what it means to be maternal I remember I got told I was maternal a few years ago and I, I'm not a mum and I really thought about well what do you mean by that and so like you're very sweet and nurturing and all of those things and I just thought oh that it just for some reason it didn't sit right with me because I thought well if I'm not all of those things or just that isn't the kind of main thing that you get then what does that mean about me as a woman ultimately and why do those things define kind of when we think about certain words? Why does that mean more kind of women? And kind of I guess yeah, it's the kind of feminine, but why does that determine me as a woman? Whereas the assertive dominant type means that I'm less of a woman or you know, it's more of a manly kind of thing to do. And that really kind of struck with me. We're so taught to put other people first, otherwise. And people don't say you're not a good person. That's not the kind of thing that's necessarily told explicitly, but it's it's assumed. It's under well, if I don't do that, then
1: what? I really, I really, really relate to this what were you told What was it that you were told that you are so maternal maternal Mm. another thing I think that's just expected or assumed is that you as a woman you will provide children but that's not everybody's choice and that that's something that comes up for me a lot because I don't want to have children and it's a question that comes up and that then I ask myself in a way where I go well does that mean I'm a less of a woman then and does that mean that I won't be seen as valuable as the women that will provide the children
0: mm, which is yeah it's... Again, it all comes down to value am I allowed to read another Kristen Neff quote because I found the one that I really wanted to why are
1: you asking me this is your podcast okay.
0: <laughs> so highly gendered behavior expectations are problematic in both directions so men are harmed by a culture of toxic masculinity that shames them for being soft sensitive or vulnerable psychologists have argued these norms hinder male emotional intelligence by emphasizing aggressiveness at the expense of interpersonal connection in other words men would be well served by developing their tender kind of more accepting qualities but the corresponding need for women to develop fierce yang traits of this kind of fierce self compassion is even more critical. Circumcised gender roles may harm both sexes psychologically, but they benefit men disproportionately, since they're rewarded with leadership roles and access to resources. Female gender norms that prioritize tenderness, mothering, at the expense of fierce action, limit women's power and ability to combat unfair treatment. And I feel like that says it all.
1: Up oh, the moment. Absolutely. Wow. You should have seen our faces right now. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I hit so hard.
0: It's like I think it's you know there's always, there's always like oh you know what about men they're also suffering. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know everybody's I suffering in one way or another. Yeah. But we're still impacted even more so that's it that's mic drop boom (laughs) (laughs) okay so speaking of these wider issues of this inequality what do you think the wider impact on the world would be if more women were able to be more reconnected to themselves and were able to return to themselves
2: genuinely I think the world would just be unrecognizable. Like I've really struggled to even, put specifically, what that would look like because even that question just gave me chills. Like the ripple effect that would have on society would just be so huge and so positive. So positive. I think if we're able to kind of better reconnect with ourselves, but we just do so much more, so much more, and be- not just because we want to, because so many people want to, but just because we can, and a lot of the time we can't or feel like we can't or all these kind of power inequalities make it so difficult to but if we were all able to do that it would just have such a huge impact such a huge impact
1: we are, we ask this question every time at the mm. at the very end of our podcast and it always feels to me like this fantasy world mm. it would be it sounds so far from where we are right now and it sounds so idealistic almost <laughs> Which is sad to say because it's almost like saying this is impossible and it will never happen, right? But I think the most that we can do is like we're all here right now, for example, raising awareness and educating people, whether it's women or both men and women b- b- because everybody needs to be educated about this and the more people are educated the more people can then look internally and go okay does this system work for me know what i can do individually for myself and then pass on to the people around me whether it's family friends peers children especially younger generations so whilst sometimes it feels like a too much of a big dream I don't think and I would never say that this is a waste of time or this is we're not doing this for nothing because we are we are making huge change
2: especially our generation like we're making huge change. I think the kind of this question that probably is a bit easier to access and to see and put into kind of action at the moment is less about the kind of wider impact on the world if, if women generally were able to reconnect with themselves but what would the wider impact be on your world if you were able to reconnect more with yourself and just notice how much that opens up for you and if we're all kind of doing that in our own ways ultimately our worlds change right just our immediate kind of worlds. when we're thinking about the wider system we can often feel really disheartened like what difference can I make but actually if you start to make that difference for yourself your world will transform
1: she's leaving us with this
0: oh bomb. <laughs> but it's so true and you know it's it's that domino effect and we just get to be that first one that hits it down, you know? And I think, you know, there's something very powerful about that. And yeah, it's true that the wider impact is almost like, I don't know, we all kind of did it. We all kind of like went back from the screen. and was like, well, it's a big question, but we all have a part to play and, you know, we're going to play it.
1: Rebecca, it's been such a value to have you today joining us. Thank you. I know we're all sharing our experiences and, and our knowledge But for me personally, these charts are really, really powerful. And a lot of the things that you said today really connected with me on a personal level. So thank you for that. And for listeners uh, wanting to know more about you are you accepting currently clients are you open to consultations where where can they find more about you and what
2: you do yes i absolutely am the best place to find me is on my website rebeccakimberly.com and instagram rebecca underscore kimberly thank you so much rebecca
0: thank you for listening we will see you next week for our next episode make sure you subscribe to the podcast follow us on instagram at returning to one self where you can receive updates on our next episode release dates, topics, and where you can engage with us too.
1: We would love for you to tag us if you found this episode resonated. Remember you have and always will deserve to return to oneself.